You're listening to Discovering Multifamily, where we discuss all educational topics in commercial real estate with an emphasis on multifamily apartment investing via syndication. And now your hosts, former NFL fullback Brian Leonard and Anthony Scandariato. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Discovering Multifamily Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Scandariato with Red Knight Properties. And today we have a special guest here with us, Alex Moore. And Alex is the founder of Gray Whale Capital, who works with accredited investors and family officers to securely place capital into multifamily real estate. She acquires both Class B and Class A multifamily apartment buildings in primarily Texas. And they're all, you know, value-add opportunities that help improve the community, um, help, you know, create, you know, above market risk-adjusted returns for investors. And um, Alex is, actually, he, she left a medical career. Uh, she's coming at us from the Bay Area. And we definitely want to hear her transition from um, the medical, you know, medical uh, healthcare industry to real estate, because they're two different things, uh, like very different things. Uh, I can speak from that from sort of experience. And, um, you know, very interesting to see how she was able to uh, leverage some research, um, you know, to kind of bring the healthcare component to uh, real estate. And uh, yeah, she has about $80 million under management right now, uh, with hundreds of doors, and uh, really excited to see what she's been working on and how she got into it. And yeah, so I mean, we could just go from there, Alex. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, Anthony. I was looking forward to this. So um, yeah, you're right. I um, come from a medical background. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner. I've been in internal medicine for over 10 years. Um, and you know, nursing was a great career. And I think a lot of folks find a lot of intrinsic value in that, but it's pretty high burnout. And so I um, really was looking for an alternative to that. And um, I never really did this passively. I've always been an active acquirer. So, um, I started with my first investment property by accident. <laughs> um, we rented out our single family home. Um, and then from there, um, got interested in what it meant to have more doors and um, for more security in, in having, uh, less reliable, more resiliency when it comes to, Hey, I've got a vacancy. I still have to carry my debt. Um, so obviously need more units. Um, and so got into that, but I, I did a little bit of everything, honestly, um, have explored almost every asset class. And I think that offers, um, a unique perspective on what is a benefit to that asset class and what is a risk, um, when you actually are doing it. So, um, yeah, I just fell in love with what you can do with a property, um, bringing the performance up, but also transforming the community in that, that time as well. And um, cause you're definitely providing better housing for people and sure. doing that actively. Um, you really realize that, Hey, some of these assets aren't taken care of at all. Um, and you're addressing some major concerns for tenants and making their lives a lot better too. So, um, huge into that. That's also, I think going back to medical, like you really care about people. <laughs> you're like yeah. I'm doing this for the finances, but also because you want to create good places for people. Sure. Um, so talk to us about some of the assets that you have um, in Texas and Phoenix. Yeah. So they're both multifamily um, and they're both value add, um, but they were um, a little bit more unique because both markets are um, so hot right now that there was a ton of just intrinsic growth um, from just acquiring them that uh, even though 
you could do work on the properties. Um, they had a lot of natural rent lift to them. So, um, particularly the last one in Houston, um, that was a direct from developer purchase. And so, um, there was organic rent lifts that happened there. And then, um, it's been doing really well because the, the leases are trading out at, you know, over 10%. Um, this is a unique time. I will not say that this is going to be a forever thing. Um, and so I think a lot of people are riding that organic rent lift. Um, but I, you know, want to caution that in the future may not be that way. I would be really cautious with underwriting right now, especially with the way that financing is. Um, so take that into account for folks who are looking for their next thing. (laughs) Sure. No, definitely. And that's, that's a good point. So, uh, what, uh, what type of projects are you working on now? And like, how are you trying to um, mitigate the risk of, you know, the interest rate increases and kind of yeah. just the, you know, the economic um, risks uh, right now in, in general? So you're in good, two really good markets, uh, which I think you'll be fine in, um, yeah. you know, uh, not every market's like that. So you'll probably still, you know, make up with rent increases still, like you said, mm-hmm. they might not be 10% a year, but they'll still be there's still a supply and demand imbalance. And, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That huge, I mean, the forecasting for where rents are going to be is going to be consistently increasing just because of that supply issue, like you mentioned. Um, but taking a look now as the interest rates have risen, <clears throat> we're seeing that the cap rates haven't really changed um, at all. And so anticipating a future spread in that cap rate is really important. I think a lot of people don't spread their exit caps. Um, and so I think we'll see a little bit of a pinch coming in the future um, because folks haven't anticipated that coming up. Um, and it's important to really know what kind of financing you want to put on a product and then uh, understand what that financing means. So for bridge debt, you're going to have that float on the sofa. So we always model out the sofa for the entirety of the hold period. <clears throat> so that tells us whether or not the asset can sustain debt service and whether or not we're still going to get cash flow um, to investors while being on top of the sofa if it's bridge. And of course, if you're going to fix, it's a little bit easier to model out. <laughs> you get your rate. But then you have to also consider, hey, if you had an opportunity to sell early, um, you're going to have to pay uh, some prepayment penalties for that. A lot of times, if the deal is big enough, it can sustain that. But you really have to take that into account that there's going to be some loss on the back end because you had less risk up front. Um, and it depends on your investors. Some investors are willing to take a little bit more risk. Some of them aren't. Um, so for family offices, they may want to put long-term debt on it upfront at a fixed rate, um, or a seven-year term, um, saying, Hey, we'll hold for seven and then we'll just sell it. Um, and that might be the right thing for the investor. So it really depends on who, who your, who your investor is, what their goals are of the investment. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And every deal is, is different. And so what, what types of holding periods do, does your firm focus on? What do you focus on? We do a model of a five-year hold with a three-year refinance. Um, that's been the historic model that works well for value add. Um, Bridge is still looking like a very competitive thing in most circumstances, but we're kind of starting to see that shift where um, it might make sense to do the long-term. There's also a fixed bridge product that we're looking at too. So that offers um, some stability. You get a little bit higher rate up front, but then it's fixed throughout the term. I like that idea. Um, and especially when we're seeing that the surfer could go up to 2.7 right now. Um, and so we take an average um, to kind of see where is the most likely rate that we're going to be getting on average. But um, so if that average is, is higher, um, then it might be worth going for that lower initial rate. Um, so I think that's an interesting product. Um, yeah, no, also, yeah, you probably have explored it too. <laughs> definitely. No, definitely interesting options right now. Definitely yeah. um, markets have changed a little bit. Um, 
Uh, and in terms of um, where, like you mentioned, so you, so you got Texas and Phoenix. Um, and in terms of how you, you mentioned, you know, you started with your single family home. Is it like, I guess, did you start right away into the big multifamily? Like after that, like how would you, I guess we kind of, yeah. I guess we kind of skipped over that a little bit. Yeah. So we had, um, you know, for doing this, going from single family homes, um, it was just one. <laughs> and I realized that it was a lot of liability there. Um, so when I did my first, it was a duplex. Um, and I thought you had to buy it all cash in order to be competitive. So what ended up happening was I did buy it all cash, saved up for it. And then I did um, a refinance out uh, almost immediately. I closed it and then refinanced out the equity and purchased a uh, short-term rental at the same time. <clears throat> and so um, I didn't really know which one at that time would be the thing that I, I enjoyed the most. And also the play is a little bit different um, with short-term rentals. You're dealing with high cash flow, And then with long-term, you're doing a combination of cash flow plus um, you're getting some appreciation there too. Um, and I think when you're modeling those out at the beginning, obviously you're like, oh, this, this short-term rental is going to be fantastic. Um, but then we, um, we've called it since we acquired it and the pandemic was really, um, a light on that because we, um, the short term, short term rentals that we have are in Maui <laughs> and no one could travel, um, for the first year of the pandemic there. So it was completely on lockdown. So you have no cash flow during that time. So that's why reserves are so important to have. And it really brought to light, Hey, that's something that is a luxury for people. And it's not always a guarantee, um, with the long-term family, um, holdings that we had, I built out, uh, several, several properties. So, um, what I did was put equity into it, um, did a CapEx plan, then refinanced the capital out, got another one and did that several times. And what that did is it provided, um, stability across the, the number of doors that you have. Problem is that you also have multiple roofs. <laughs> So again, when a roof comes up, that's somewhere between a nine K expense. We had a really large roof for a multiplex we had, um, in that 16 was $16,000. So again, reserves are super important. Um, but that consistent, um, cash flow from the long-term rentals was really important to me, um, where you can predict that and you can put reserves away consistently. Sure. Okay. So then you went into, now you're doing it as a mostly syndicate. So how were you able to buy that? You know, the large ones. Yeah. Large so that ones, was a syndicated, yeah. syndicated deal. There were also partners on that deal. And um, so it was a multi-partner situation, um, for, um, that one it's, it, you know, when it comes to partnerships, you just got to know who your partners are and know what their roles are going to be. I think most deals, um, that are larger have multiple partners. And I always talk to people when they're going into, um, an investment as a limited partner, it's really tough because you don't always get all of the information that you would want to have. So make sure that you ask a ton of questions, um, and that you have as much information as possible, but it gives me a lot of sympathy for folks who are like going into passive investments because as an active investor, <laughs> I, um, have only ever passively invested in one deal to figure out what it was. Um, and I realized that like, I am someone who likes to buy, acquire and manage these properties. And uh, I think there's a level of control you have there, um, as a natural operator. Um, but I think what the benefit of being a passive investor is if you find a really good operator, then you can let them do 
what they like to do. And then you get to enjoy the returns, um, without having that constant worry. Cause honestly, the portfolios are a lot to manage and most people don't like doing it. Um, and it is, you know, unexpected things like roofs, toilets, leaks, floods, <laughs> they all happen. Yeah. Um, and it isn't something that you can necessarily plan for, but you can come up with a mitigation plan. Um, so we, we have like what happens if plans, but, um, there's always surprises. I mean, they will all like multifamily will always surprise you. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Um, talk to us a little bit about the, the healthcare transition too. I, I mean, yeah. obviously nurse practitioner, um, you know, by trade, um, you know, we we're talking a little bit before the podcast, uh, you're looking to start your own practice and then decided not to yeah. you talk to us why that, and then have you, I guess, uh, from what I'm hearing, you know, in the, in the medical professional field is once they leave the medical profession, you, you know, you could have a per diem, you know, situation. Mm-hmm. It, it, they always kind of like, not necessarily come back a hundred percent, but it's always still there and yeah. you do miss it. Um, so yeah. can you kind of talk about why you decided, okay, I'm going, I'm going to do this instead of full time. Cause that's a, you know, Alex, that's a big change. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I don't think it's for everybody. Um, so I, yeah, I was telling you that, you know, there was this moment where I realized I wanted to do something more than what I was currently doing my current role. And this might happen for a lot of people in medicine is that you kind of get into rhythm. You're really good at it. You go in and you, you can do it pretty much in your sleep. (laughs) And, um, there's also a level of, what else, where else can I go with this career? And so the natural push was, okay, I could start my own practice. Um, but it wasn't going to accomplish the things that I wanted, which was scalability. And I wanted it to be something that would provide, um, me with an opportunity to really grow a lucrative business that was able to employ other families, able to grow. Um, it's really tough to make that work in medicine. Um, the incentives really aren't that aligned between patient care and business. And I, I think that's also something that I struggled with too, is that, Healthcare by nature is really not going to be something that is profitable. Um, and, and I don't really think it should be, <laughs> um, but that's, a, you know, a personal opinion. Um, and so I think that's where um, I was looking at all the other businesses I could potentially open or do. Um, and I was already investing in real estate, already doing multifamily, had already explained, explored all these other asset classes. And that's when I started looking at my mentors who were doing much bigger things than I was doing. And I, I was like, how do you do it? And they're like other people's money. <laughs> and that's where I, uh, really started understanding that there is a business that you can create, um, for multifamily investments or any real estate investment that you're willing to open up to investors. Um, and so that's where I just read a ton, learned a ton, asked a qu- bunch of questions, read a ton of books and really got what I would say is a deep knowledge and education on that. Um, similar to when you're studying for anything, um, that you want to pursue. Um, if you're want to do it, you want to learn about it, you can do it. Sure. No, I love that. That's awesome. Um, as we wind down the show, how can my audience reach out to you, connect with you, learn more about you? I would love it if you reached out. Um, so you can do it on a couple different ways. My website is graywellcapital.com. So G-R-E-Y-W-H-L-E capital. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is Alex Moore Invest. My Twitter is Alexandra Kara Moore um, or is Alexandra Seymour. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have a link to all the social media links that you just mentioned in our social media. We'll, we'll, we'll dig them up. 
and awesome. our, Thank you. On our, yeah, on our platforms as well. Um, and if you liked what you heard and or saw today, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. It'll help Alex and I get our message out to a greater audience. So really appreciate that. Definitely uh, encourage you to reach out to Alex and I'm uh, looking forward to seeing what you accomplish in the future. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It was great being on. Take care.